Let us worship God. excited. I'm just over the moon excited. So it is so great to be here with you today. And I want to start with a reading from Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60 in the message. At that point, they went wild. <laughs> 
a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God, whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at his side. He said, Oh, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words, then he died. Saul was right there congratulating the killers. Pray with me. Gracious and loving God, I pray right now that you would give me the courage and the power to deliver this message with love. If there's anything about this messenger that distracts the hearers from the message, I pray that you would give the hearers the ability to look past the messenger to hear the message from you. We ask these things in the name of your son Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is, I Only Have Eyes for You. And I'm going to ask Connie and Pastor Jenna to help me by passing out rocks to each and every one of you. So a basket is going to come around and I'd like you to choose a rock. Reach into that basket and choose a rock. And it's going to be yours to keep. Okay? So one of the things, as, I'm get, as they're doing that, I'm just going to get started. One of the things that I really love about being here at 7th Avenue and being invited to preach here is an invitation to preach the lectionary. Now, the lectionary invites me to spend time in all of the scriptures, all, not just the scriptures that make me feel good and promise me that I'm going to live a life full of abundant blessings, which, by the way, is far from my lived experience. And 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17 states that all scripture, all scripture holds a promise of teaching something that can help equip God's people for good works. All scripture. Now, there were several lectionary scriptures that I could have chosen for the sermon today, and most contained a reference to rocks or stones. A rock, after all, is a natural substance composed of solid crystals of different minerals that have been fused together in a solid lump. 
like the lump you're holding in your hand. Luba, did you get a rock? Okay, very good, gotta make sure. Did we have enough to go around? Yes, great, everybody has a rock. Now in Psalm 31, this is one of the scriptures I could have chosen, verse two in the NRSV, it reads, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Okay, God, be my rock of refuge, a strong and solid shelter from danger or distress. I didn't choose that one. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 in the NRSV reads, Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. A cornerstone. That's known as the rock upon which the weight of an entire structure rests. And Jesus is considered our precious cornerstone and the foundation of our faith. And we are the living stones whom God will use to build God's church upon the cornerstone. Side note, we are the church. The church is not a building. Just, that's a side note. Sermon for another day. Okay, on the one hand... The symbolic references to the rock of refuge in Psalm 31 and precious cornerstone and living stones in 1 Peter chapter 2, they're both uplifting and hopeful, and it's easy to see the good in these scriptures. But I didn't choose those scriptures for today. Because on the other hand, let's go look on the other hand here, the literal stones thrown at Stephen in Acts chapter 7, were deadly. And it took a little bit more work for me to see the good in these scriptures, in these literal stones. But before we unpack Acts chapter 7, I want to take a quick detour to a familiar story in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and pick up the story in verses 48 and 49, just after the shepherd David chose five smooth stones from the riverbed. And it reads, when the Philistine, Goliath, drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine in the forehead. If I threw this stone at you, it would hurt. I'm going to guarantee it, okay? The stone sank into his forehead, Goliath, and Goliath fell down on the ground. So the Bible doesn't seem to be against using deadly force. Because in this situation, although David used deadly force to defend Israel 
against the Philistines, he was heralded as a hero. So it's a little bit easier to see the good in these circumstances, a little bit easier than in Acts chapter 7. So what makes the mob's use of deadly force in Acts chapter 7 so very different? So come with me and let's go unpack their circumstances and see if we can find any good at all in today's passage of Scripture. So first, here's a little bit of background on Stephen. Stephen most likely grew up in the Greek culture. He was a deacon in the early church. He's described in Acts 8, 8, as brimming with God's grace and energy and doing wonderful things among the people, unmistakable signs that God was among them. He also taught among the Greek Jews. But guess what? They did not like his interpretations of Scripture. They did not like his interpretations of Scripture. So they bribed men to lie against Stephen. And they took Stephen before the high council where the false witnesses testified that, quote, this man, Stephen, talks nonstop against this holy place and God's law. We even heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth would tear this place down and throw out all the customs Moses gave us. And as the high council looked at Stephen during the testimony of these false witnesses, they found they couldn't take their eyes off of him. His face was like that of an angel. The glory of God was shining through him. And next, the high priest asked Stephen, is this so? And Stephen was given an opportunity to defend himself and respond to his false accusers. Stephen responded by accurately recounting the history of the Jewish people from the time of Abraham through Solomon building a temple for God. Then he concluded his defense with these words. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones who received the law as ordained by angels. And yet, you have not kept it. That's 
how he concluded his defense. Now you've heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not so in this case. Stephen's words, his words, must have caused great pain and maybe even great fear for those in the mob. Why else? Why else would they have responded by rioting and hissing and dragging Stephen out of town and throwing stones at him until he died? Did the punishment of death really fit the supposed crime? Words? Words? Where's the good in that? (laughs) Where's the good in that? Well, the story isn't finished, so let's keep going. There actually are two glimpses of good that I found from this passage of scripture that I'd like to share with you today. The first glimpse of good is Stephen's response to his false accusers and the wild mob. Stephen did three things. Number one, he gazed upon the glory of God. Stephen only had eyes for God. He wasn't distracted by the mob, the wild mob. Stephen kept his steadfast gaze on God in the heavens and Jesus, his advocate, standing by his side. Number two, prayed. Stephen prayed. Knowing that death was near, Stephen asked God to receive his spirit. And then number three, forgave. Loud enough for everyone in the mob to hear, Stephen's last words were, Master, don't blame them for this sin. He gazed upon the glory of God, he prayed, and he forgave. Now let me pause here and say that Stephen was a better person than I might have been. Because I could just imagine myself saying something like, get them, God, get them. You know, because it's like, you know they ain't doing right, go get them, but not Stephen. So on the contrary, Stephen is an amazing role model of how to respond not react. He responded in dreadful circumstances. He teaches us as God's people to respond in these situations by keeping our gaze upon the glory of God, praying, and forgiving. Can you see the good in that? I can. Now, the second glimpse of good is Saul's presence. The scripture says that as the stoning began, the ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. Now, wait a minute. These folks were probably dressed in their finest regalia. And they had the presence of mind to know that they did not want to mess up 
their good clothes. So they took off the good, it's about to get dirty up in here. So we're gonna take off our robes and we're gonna hand them to Saul, you hold my stuff. That's the equivalent of, let me take off my earrings, hold my earrings, right? You hold my stuff while I go do this because I don't wanna mess up my outer garments. So Saul was left to hold the robes. And after Stephen died, Saul was right there congratulating the killers. Congratulations. Congratulations. Good job. Good job. Saul was known as a zealous persecutor of the church. Now, this is the same Saul who meets Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 and has a conversion experience. This is the same Saul of whom Jesus said in Acts 9.15, He, Saul, is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. This is the same Saul who is also known as Paul, who answered the call of Jesus and was transformed from being a persecutor of the church to one of the most prolific preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. This Saul was an answer to Stephen's dying prayer. Master, don't blame them for this sin. Instead of punishing Saul for his sin, Jesus invited Saul into a life of service. Can you see the good in that? I can. Now, if I was in a Pentecostal church, not here in this church, but if I was in a Pentecostal church, it would make me want to shout, run around the church, and do backflips over the pews. That's the kind of excitement that gets to me, okay? And why? Because if Jesus can do it for Saul, Jesus can do it for me. Jesus can take my life, can take my past, redeem my past, and help me move forward with a renewed purpose. And I'm here to tell you that if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. That's a glimpse of hope. That's a glimpse of good. And that's a glimpse of God's glory. Now, before I close... Let's revisit this rock that you've chosen. I want you to take a good look at that rock. Take a good look at it. What do you see? My hope is that you see some reminders and some invitations. A reminder that like Christ and Stephen, disciples of Christ will be persecuted and subject to hostility because of their values and beliefs. Count on it. Disciples of Christ will be persecuted. A reminder that in those circumstances, not if, not when, when it happens, in those circumstances, you have one of two choices. Number one, you can choose to emulate a literal stone and react impulsively out of hurt and fear, 
which often results in deadly physical, emotional, and spiritual harm to those around you. Or, number two, you can choose to accept the invitation to be a living stone, like Christ, Stephen, and Paul. So I want this stone to be an invitation to you to choose to follow Stephen's example and try to make it a practice to respond in difficult circumstances. Respond by keeping your gaze upon the glory of God at all times. Wherever you see God, keep your eye on the glory of God at all times. Pausing and praying for God's guidance, power, and love. Forgiving your persecutors because there is freedom in forgiveness. So if someone accidentally rings your doorbell, keep your gaze on God. Pray, forgive. If someone accidentally opens your car door, keep your gaze on God. Pray and forgive. If a child's basketball accidentally rolls into your yard, keep your gaze on God. Pray and forgive. If, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. You're going to have a lot of opportunities today, tomorrow. If whatever happens, it rarely hurts if we keep our gaze on God, pray for God's guidance, power, and love, act on what God tells us, and forgive if it's necessary. So lastly, may this stone that you're holding, may it be an invitation to focus on redemption rather than retaliation. And trust. Trust God's purposes and God's plans in the midst of it all. Can you see the good in that? I hope so. I really hope so. And all God's people said, Amen.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. Salvation in God. 
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in song, in silence, in word, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Now, as you depart from this place, but never from God's presence, may you willingly and courageously accept the invitation to keep your eyes on God at all times, to pray for God's guidance, power, and love in all circumstances, forgive and ask for forgiveness, and trust. Trust God's purposes and plans in the midst of it all. May you be living stones. Amen. And may the grace of God who created you in love the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.